Good morning. How are you all? I've been coming here for five years, and this is the first time um, I'm able to speak to you all. This is exciting for me. I'm honored. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Um, You know, it's probably God's sense of humor, or probably more likely his faithfulness to keep chipping away at the things that don't look like him. But I get the topic of compassion. And um, compassion, um, I'm good at being compassionate to people that are like me. You know, the friend who needs me to just kind of watch her kids so that she can have a minute to herself. She's overwhelmed. The new mom who's struggling and needs prayer and needs someone to come alongside her and encourage her. I'm good at that kind of compassion overall. I mean, not always, but I, I, I get that. Um, but for people who are not like me, and specifically my husband, who is not like me, um, the people who live in my house, um, the humbling truth is that it's much harder for me to show love and compassion to my husband than it is to anybody else in the whole wide world. And why is that? <laughs> um, you know, part of it is um, his schedule, his wants, his desires, his personality, his emotional responses, his plans, his everything as just polar opposite of what mine is. You know, the whole opposites attract thing is very true, and that is a good thing, but the fact that you spend the most time with the person that is least like you is a recipe for disaster at times. Amen? (laughs) Um, um, And there's not a lot of room for faking it either. Um, After probably about the first week of marriage, maybe a little less than that, um, you run out of that strength to fake it with your husband, if you made it that far at all. You are with your husband's at home who you are 100% for better and for worse. So compassion. Compassion is um, defined as empathy in action. I told my husband I'd rather have service, last month's topic, because I'm good at doing things. I'm good at the action part. You know, if I just need to do your dishes, I'll do the dishes. I'll do the laundry. I'll do whatever. But don't make me empathize with you. Don't make me stop and care about what's going on. And that's, that's, that's in general, unfortunately. Um, but it's compassion is suffering alongside someone and entering into their pain, often with an eye to lift them up out of that pain. In Colossians, when Paul tells Christians the things that they're to put away, he talks a whole list of things that were to take off. The very first thing that he says to put on like a garment is compassion. Um, In marriage, that means that compassion loves without an agenda. It doesn't keep score of who's more loving than the other one or who does a better job of taking care of the other one. Um, It gives itself without asking in return, and it enters into pain. It does not minimize it or dismiss it or ignore it and say, come on, really, you're upset about that again? Come on, suck it up, really? You know, we all have that tendency to kind of go, this is not my struggle, I don't understand it, just get over it. Stop whining. You know, we do it with our children. We do it with our husbands. Honestly, we don't do it with our friends. Um, the compassion points to Jesus, towards his plan, towards his kindness, towards his mercy and his joy. It does not come naturally to us, especially in our homes. In fact, many times it completely goes against everything that is in us. So let me look at two obstacles to compassion that have been very convicting to me as I've thought about this, and then I promise I'll leave you with lots of hope, because there's lots of hope um, for compassion. First of all, I forgot it. May I grab my bottle there? Thank you, thank you. All right, I saw this illustration, and it's helped me in lots of different ways. Are you ready? What? Thank you, thank you. Why did water come out of the bottle? Because I shook it, Right? New question, why did water come out of the bottle? Because that was what was in the bottle. Milk didn't come out, coffee didn't come out, tea didn't come out. 
Water came out of the bottle when it was shaken because water was inside of the bottle. The number one enemy to compassion in our lives is going to be our thought life. Um, the, the battle for compassion in marriage is going to be won or lost between your ears. What are you thinking about? What do you think about your husband? What do you focus on? On what do you put your emphasis? Do you focus on his strengths or on his weaknesses? Are your thoughts bitter or are they sweet? Proverbs 4.23 warns us that above all else, we must guard our heart for it is the wellspring of life. Nothing comes out that is not first in. Likewise, Jesus speaks these sobering words recorded in Luke 6.45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, I, I had a chance to sit down and look at some journals recently. I like to journal just to get my thoughts out. I'm an internal processor, and so I need to sit it down and write it out. And I read back to where I first met my husband, um, dating, engagement, marriage. I read for about a year. And it was fascinating for me to read it and to look back at all of the ways that I described my husband when we were dating, when we were engaged, when we were married. Um, it was great for me because I looked at this and I said, this is so the man I married and more. I just could add to these qualities. Um, but it was fascinating within the first week of marriage. From this glowing, oh, I can't wait to be married to him. This is going to be wonderful. Everything's going to be great. And then, and but genuine. It wasn't just a, you know, an illusion. It was, this is who I'm marrying and I'm so excited about it. But then we got married and all of a sudden he wanted to go to bed at one time. I wanted to go to bed at another time. I would come home from work and I wanted to go for a walk, but I knew he really wouldn't want to go for a walk. But I thought, do I just go for a walk? Do I ask him to come? He's going to feel guilty. Do we, you know, and then he's going to say, yeah, I'll come with you, but he's just coming because I asked him to go. And so this, you know, this stupid dance that we started to do, I wanted to eat at the table. He didn't really want to eat at the table because that's what we do. We sit at the table and eat, um, and so um, all of these little things, and they're, they're silly little things, um, all of a sudden my thoughts begin to shift towards, okay, Lord, yeah, and it's not even a big deal, but I'm frustrated. How do I deal with this? How do, instead of saying, oh, thank you for this wonderful man, it became, what do I do about this? <laughs> um, and of course, that doesn't end there, does it? I mean, you know, so many things happen throughout marriage, the, the little hurts, the little resentments that begin to just build up. And it's not because he's being evil towards us. It's because he's a different person and because he has different responses. And we take it and we get hurt and we kind of pile on just little layers of resentment over and over again. And so we stop and if we take an inventory, you know, if you would start a diet, you would say, this is what I ate today. Da, 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 da. You guys do that. I challenge you to take a minute and maybe a day and just think, be mindful of the thoughts you're thinking about your husband. Take a diary of your thoughts. Um, are you filled with thankfulness for who he is and the wonderful ways that God has equipped him? Or are you, um, are you focusing on the ways that maybe he doesn't quite measure up to your expectations? If we want compassion to pour out of us, to be the thing that flows out of us, then we must keep a very close watch on what goes on inside of us. If you're struggling in this area, and we all do, um, let me give you a few things that are true about your husband that you can focus on. Number one, he is a precious creation of God. God is his creator. God is the one who has put him uniquely together and given him the exact set of strengths and weaknesses that he now has. He belongs to God long before he belongs to you. Number two, he's a sinner. He is in need of grace. Lots and lots and lots of grace. Just like I am and you are. 
Whenever we're tempted to think about our husbands, the ways our husbands fall short, let it be an invitation to think about the ways that we fall short and are in need of grace. We can't enter into compassion. We can't struggle alongside someone if we're placing ourselves above them in our minds. And that happens very subtly, and it's very easy. Um, Number three, God has a plan for him, and he has not finished working that plan out yet. The very thing that is hardest about your marriage right now may very well be the stuff that God uses to work a beautiful redemption in his life and in your life. Rather than resenting those struggles, choose to think about God's faithfulness and his promises and cling to the hope that he is up to really, really good things, even in the midst of whatever it is that you're struggling to love your husband about right now. So our thought life, very important. Number two, I would say almost more important. Um, I see it everywhere in my own life and in the lives of people that I talk to. Expectations. Yes, expectations. In addition to our thought lives, the greatest enemy is going to be expectations that we bring into marriage. We have a very dangerous temptation as women to always make our husbands the center of our universe, the center of our happiness, the wellspring of our joy and our security. That's the way we are um, wired in good ways and in bad ways. Um, We orient towards him and we expect everything from him. Um, It's a good desire that God has given us that we long for a man to come alongside and to fill us up, Um, but it is becomes an obsession (laughs) without realizing it that he must make me happy. It's not helped along by cultural influences that tell us that love and romance and being desirable and being fawned upon and treated with like a princess all the time, that that is the key to happiness. Um, And as a result, we take all of that longing, all of that hope, along with all the things we've been dreaming about as a little girl all of our lives, and we say, you're wonderful. Come fill me up. You know, come make me happy. I'm so glad I found you finally to fill this hole that's inside of me. And even when we come to marriage with the greatest of intentions to lay ourselves down and to serve and to pour ourselves out for our husbands, there's still that thought in the back of my mind that I deserve to be happy and that it is his job to make me happy. So when we encounter another struggling human who needs not um, to, who needs our compassion, who needs our love, Um, We easily become resentful that his pain and his trouble has caused him to take his eyes off of his primary mission, which is making us happy. Um, And instead of moving closer to offer compassion, we pull away and we nurse our resentment for the ways that he hasn't quite done what we had hoped that he would do. I have a hard truth to pass along, but it's one that will make you free. Um, And that is um, that making you happy is not God's goal for your life, and it should not be your goal either. And that's not to say that there are not amazing, beautiful blessings that come um, and that happiness is a bad thing. I'm not saying that. But God's primary mission is to make you holy, to make you look like him. And that is his primary mission for your husband as well. It may just be that instead of coming coming with this expectation that this man will fill you up, It will set you free to come with an expectation that you're married to a sinful, messed up human being, just as you are a sinful, messed up human being. And God has called you together so that you can point one another back to him 
And that through all of the brokenness, you can show the world not just how happy you are, not how wonderful your marriage is, but how good and beautiful and faithful God is to take two broken people and to teach them how to love one another through all kinds of trouble. Instead of pouring out your hope, um, what I'm, hold on, let me see. What I'm not saying, let me be sure that I'm being clear. If there are issues that come up in marriage, you don't just go, oh, you know, it's okay, whatever. We're not going to worry about that. You know, God has, I know in this room that there are lots of hurts. I know in this room there are lots of things that you are dealing with in your marriage. It could be infidelity. It could be pornography. It could be um, financial struggles that are real. Um, it could be relational issues that just don't seem to get better. All of those things, I'm not saying just turn a blind eye to them. They need to be worked on. Um, that's part of becoming holy, as God has given us this togetherness. Um, what I am saying, it's so much easier to enter into those struggles when we have gotten over this understanding, this expectation that everything's supposed to be great. I challenge you to take your vision of what you thought your life would look like right now and to say, you know what? This, what I have, this is my reality. This is God's best for me. Now, how can I honor God with this rather than pining away for the way that you wish things could be? And I do want to say, too, that I've talked to several people who tell me that they think everybody else's marriage is all together and that um, they're the only ones that are struggling. And I just want to put that to rest right now. Um, I know that there are, there are marriages that are in seasons of peace right now, but marriage is hard. And so if you're struggling with your marriage and you feel like you're the only one, that's a lie. That's a lie. Um, God is using this, and we, we would love to pray with you if there's things that we can talk to you about. Um, we're here for that. Um, but know that you're not the only one that is struggling. And I promise to give you hope. There's lots and lots and lots and lots of hope. I'm not telling you, be a better wife, try better, try harder, think more thoughts. Um, those things are helpful. Um, but really, the only hope that we have is in Jesus Christ. The one who has commanded us to clothe ourselves with compassion at Christmas time clothed himself in compassion for us. He took on, he took on this. He took on humanity. He didn't have to. Um, and really, when you think about it, or my husband has pointed this out before in chapel, if you were there, um, he didn't have, all he had to do in order to save you and me was to live a perfect life and to die a death in our place. That was all that was required for this exchange to happen. Um, but instead, what did he do? He was born into poverty. He was born to a single mother who, you know, they thought that she had um, been unfaithful. Um, he was brought up in shame. He was brought up in poverty. He was, he was filled, his life was filled with temptation, rejection, heartache, hunger, grief, and pain, all so that he could enter into our struggle. Hebrews 4, 14-16 explains that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. However wicked and wayward and unkind and uncompassionate our thoughts are, of towards our husband or in general, we can bring them honestly before Jesus and ask for forgiveness and for mercy and for grace to help us pour that same compassion out on our husbands. Not only has he walked our road, but he has done that so that we can be 100% his forever and ever. Amen. He is the only one who can meet the longings of our heart for perfect understanding 
perfect love, perfect acceptance. His compassion extends to our deepest needs and to all of the places where we feel our husbands have failed us. We don't have to demand that love from them because we already have it from him. When we spend our thoughts and our emotional energy focusing on that rather than on the ways that we want our husbands to change to meet our needs, we are free to pour out the compassion and the love of Jesus on our husbands who so desperately long to receive it. Um, I Just a couple thoughts. I mean, that's, that's the big idea. I just want to give you a couple practical ways to show compassion because I like lists too, <laughs> like practical things. Um, one idea is just, um, especially this time of year, just slow down. Um, it might be that your husband needs you to listen and needs you to hear and needs you to ask how he's doing, but we're running so fast, getting where we need to go. Be willing to skip appointments, to miss soccer games, to be late to school if it means that you're able to listen to your husband. Let go of some of those things that need to get done. Another way is just to be there. And um, I look for ways to, this sounds cheesy, but look for ways to touch your husband, to just pat him on the back, to touch his hand. Um, if he is struggling in depression and can't get out of bed, just sit there next to him and rub his back. Or whatever it is, um, whatever darkness and struggle that he is in, find a way to be there physically present next to him. Um, and not even say anything. Don't feel like you have to fix it. Um, just come next to him and be there. Um, he is your, you are his friend. You are the one that he chose to be that person for him. So just be there. Um, and third would be to ask questions, to be um, not nagging questions, not tell me what's wrong, tell me what's wrong, tell me what's wrong, but be willing to ask questions and to reach in um, and to listen to what he says and not try to fix it once again. Amen.